The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I promise you that. The buzz today, put your seatbelts on. Going hyper. No, not personally. I mean hyper-connected. It's a big word. It's a new word. We have a lot to talk about. So what does it mean to have a connected business and be part of this new hyper-connected world? Analysts estimate, get ready for these numbers, kids, because these may blow your mind. By 2020, not that far off, there will be 2.5 billion people connected on social networks. I said 2.5 billion. As if that isn't enough, they will be using 75 billion connected devices. Wow, wish we invested in those. And $65 trillion in global business trade between and among connected businesses. A lot of numbers, a lot of big stuff going on. So as we move into this era of hyper-connectivity in our digital economy, how can your company turn these challenges, these opportunities into profit? How can you take your business networks and make them work for you from now all the way into the future, into the sunset? and make it happen, make your company grow, thrive, and be sustainable. We have a panel of three experts today who are going to help us figure this out. First up, I'm pleased to welcome Sudeep Watam. He's a vice president and general manager of Global Mobility Services Advisory and Transformation at HP. And here is the quote Sudeep sent me. It's a, a Sudeep Watam original, so listen carefully. The extent of imagination and rapid innovation will determine the velocity of hyperconnectivity in the digital world. A small pause in the process could severely derail the path to the perfect world. And he put the perfect world in capital letters. Wow. Sudeep Gautam, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Good morning, Bonnie. I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. This is a very heavy-duty quote, so why don't you take it apart for us and tell us how it relates to our topic. I'm impressed. Go ahead. Uh, I'm impressed too, Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that makes at least two of us, plus a couple of listeners. Go ahead, Sateev. Excellent. Well, you know, um, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, technology has made us very selfish, and uh, why not? You know, we are in a world of instant gratification, as you can see. But if we can leverage technology to make this, you know, world a better place, which I've always imagined, you know, a world that is interconnected in ways that could end poverty, hunger, improve crop production, make organizations more efficient, inculcate intelligent buyers, you know, then I think we've done a great service to ourselves and to the community. It's very interesting that every day, especially for the last 
now, the recent years, we see innovation in its finest and smallest, and sometimes the smallest of forms, right? Mm-hmm. I want to give you three instances. Yes. First of all, um, you know, take the, take the concept of agriculture. I mean, you would think that, hey, you know, this is one area where you don't imagine too much of uh, digitization or mobility or any of the new modern techniques other than, hey, you know, I got new, new growing techniques for, you know, for the farm and for the crops and so on and so forth. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Europe, and I was with this very exciting company uh, right in the middle of uh, a farm, a huge farm, and um, it was one of the research labs, and, um, uh, you know, they um, they were planning to discuss with me something very unique. I mean, they were planning to actually start um, a kind of a social network, a kind of a decision management platform that they wanted to build using mobile and analytics uh, sensors and so on and so forth um, to actually prescribe, uh, you know, best practice methods for farmers, their growers, and, and get them on an interconnected uh, community of folks which could prescribe what what could grow for them in their field conditions, in their in their soil conditions, climatic conditions, and so on and so forth. That was an amazing kind of an example, right? I mean, where you see a very large manufacturer in the agricultural sector trying to use uh, digital um, to kind of spread, um, you know, the the best practices to its growers and to um, Mm -hmm. the entire community out there. That was one example. Um, You know, we're all talking about iBeacons and so on and so forth. Now, what's interesting about iBeacons is, number one, of course, it entices shoppers where context, you know, where content meets context, right? I mean, the question really is, how do you really get buyers excited about, um, uh, you know, buying the right things? And then, of course, it also helps in terms of how um, iBeacons or Beacons overall are actually generating retailer, retailer profits and ROI on this technology. So this is a cool piece of technology that started off a couple of years ago, and now it's kind of picking up big time. Um, the third one, which which in fact I don't know if some of you have read is is very very recent, right? It's something that Amazon is trying out. It's called the Dash button. Basically, mm-hmm. it's a finger-sized plastic button that's installed in the home via an adhesive, and basically it, it's connected to your Wi-Fi um, and through your smartphone. And basically, what what it's going to do is it's going to allow users to reorder common household items by simply pressing it when the supplies are running low. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, what's also happening is a lot of manufacturers like Whirlpool, etc., are slowly uh, subscribing to that and having these dash buttons inbuilt with their um, with their machines. Now, you know, these are small things, but imagine if people can understand buying preferences, usage patterns, and so on and so forth with this small button, essentially in the digitization mode. Uh, how amazing would that be? Now, of course, um, I said a small pause in this process could be detrimental, and which is right, because the risk is in keeping the momentum, the imagination, the innovation that flows out of that, and then, of course, at the end of execution. You know, we are suddenly wired to great expectations. So mm-hmm. standards, governance, architecture, change management, budget, talent are all big issues that we'll have to keep an eye on. 
Thank you, Sudeep. What a great introduction. And when you were talking about that dash button, it reminded me of the Staples ads on TV for many years with that big red Staples button. And the implication was if you just had this button somewhere next to your bed, on your desk, in your office, you just push it and this amazing thing would appear and Staples would automatically order whatever you wanted. And it sounds like Amazon is running with that concept and making it a reality. We have so much more to talk with you about during the show. Thank you for a great intro to our topic, Sadeep. Let me bring on uh, one of your colleagues from HP, who's our second panelist today. His name is Dennis DeGregor. He's a worldwide group executive for CX Services at HP. And Dennis sent me a wonderful quote from Meg Whitman, and I have to do a footnote here. Uh, Meg Whitman, I didn't know, is a native of Long Island, and I'm here on Long Island in New York, did not know that. And in 2014, she was named the 20th in Forbes' list of the 100 most powerful women in the world. So there. So it's a really good reference here. So here's the quote from Meg Whitman via Dennis DeGregor. By 2017, the CMO will have larger budgets for technology than the CTO. Well, there's a prediction for you. Dennis DeGregor, how are you today? I'm fine, Bonnie. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us. We have two people from HP, and I don't think you two even knew each other until I introduced you. So there. So, Dennis, how come you picked this Meg Whitman quote on our topic of hyperconnectivity? Talk to me. Well, Sudeep and I don't know each other, but we both work for Meg, so there's our common point. (laughs) Touche. To Meg's quote about the CMO owning larger technology budgets than the CTO or CIO uh, by 2017, Sounds like a pretty simple quote, but but underlying that quote is is a very profound shift in what's happening today in in enterprises, especially large, complex enterprises that deal with consumers. There's a shift to using big data, artificial intelligence, and associated analytics to driving organic revenue growth, um, as opposed to using technology for cost reduction, which had been the prevailing paradigm. And uh, as we know, uh, Wall Street awards multiples to the company's common stock based on your ability to grow organic revenues, not to reduce costs. Uh, Wall Street analysts consider cost reduction as part of management's job. It's implied in in the operating model. So they don't reward your common stock for cost reduction, but they do reward it for the ability to grow organic revenues. So the CMO acquiring large budgets for technology is a trend that we've been seeing for about the last four or five years, and it has to do with hyperconnectivity because mm-hmm. the CMO is the executive in, in the company, uh, along with help from the COO, for connecting consumers to the brand. So the shift in technology spending to the CMO is ex- was expected and it's actually occurring now. So it's opening some exciting possibilities, particularly in the areas of connecting customers to the brand in ways that we have not been able to connect them before. And I call these consumers Generation C for connected. And what do we mean by Generation C? Well, Generation C is a description of of a consumer that connects themselves to the brand using mobile devices, digital channels, um, non-mobile web, uh, as well as traditional methods like the phone and in-store visits. And the opportunity represented by moving technology budgets to the CMO has to do with the fact that this Generation C 
these 2.5 billion consumers who are connected to the Internet through various devices across the globe represent trillions and trillions of dollars of what I call latent demand, meaning it's the CMO's job to extract that latent revenue demand from, from the consumer social sphere, the blogosphere, the global Internet. So what's occurring today is the entire marketing paradigm has shifted. It's shifted away from what I call 20th century marketing, where the company used to spend acquisition costs acquiring consumers, and that acquisition cost might have been, let's say, $200 to acquire a consumer. Then the company would spend the next three or four years making that customer relationship profitable, offsetting the acquisition costs. That paradigm has completely changed, and it's the underlying driver of this shift of technology budgets to the CMO. What's happening today is consumers, Generation C, the connected consumer, find the brand themselves. You don't have to drive them to your brand. If you set up your mobile portals, your non-mobile web, your e-commerce site, your, your brands.com site, all of the touch points that the consumer can use to engage the brand. It's the CMO's job today to set up those touch points in a way where the consumer can find the brand and the CMO can extract the latent revenue demand from the 2.5 billion connected consumers. So as we speak today, uh, what's actually happening is we're moving already from Generation C to what I call Generation D, and that is the current group of consumers out there, due to their ability to not only connect to the brand, but connect to their peer group, they can either drive your brand to new heights through using their peer network, telling your peer network about your brand, promoting your brand to their, their peer group and driving even more revenue, or they can destroy your brand by letting people know that you're not fulfilling on your promises as a brand. So it's a double-edged sword. So today the, the promise of big data and the associated, associated technologies that the CMO has to use to connect the consumer to the brand is really the prevailing trend that my team at HP is, is concerned with, and we're developing new consumer models as we speak. Thank you very much, Dennis. Very, very interesting. I hadn't heard of Generation C, even though we're living with it. What does the D stand for in Generation D, or is it just the a progression through the alphabet? Is there a, something that D stands for? Well, I'm sure they'll eventually be a Generation E, but, but Generation D does stand for uh, the connected consumer can either drive your brand to new, to new levels uh, of quality and of revenue generation, or they can destroy your brand by letting so their peer networks across the globe know that, that your brand's not doing what it's supposed to do. So, so I'm going to take I, the high road. I'm going to take yeah. the high road here and say the Generation D is Generation Delighted on the, the positive side, the ones who want to tell people about your brand and want to connect their peers in a good way. And then the flip side would be Generation Deriding or Derogatory. And let's just leave that one on the table for discussion later. Thank you very much, Dennis. Also a good intro to our topic. Lots of great insights. Let me bring on our third panelist. He's a return visitor to, I don't know which show he was on. We have 15 different SAP Game Changers radio <laughs> series now, but somewhere in the 
pass, I welcomed Drew Hoffler, who is the Senior Director of Solution Marketing at Ariba Network and Financial Solutions, Ariba, an SAP company. And Drew Hoffler is bringing back an oldie but goodie, Sir Isaac Newton, who, by the way, in case you don't know off the top, lived from 1642 to 1726. And wouldn't Sir Isaac Newton be very surprised to find himself on an internet radio show called Transforming Your Business with Game Changers? Yes, he would. Here's the quote. We build too many walls and not enough bridges. Drew Hoffler, welcome back. How are you today? I am well, Bonnie. Thank you. Talk to me. Interesting quote. How did Sir Isaac Newton get here among the uh, the, the <laughs> deep words from Sudeep Gautam and from the, the even deeper words from Meg Whitman at HP? What's he doing in this esteemed company? Talk to me. Well, I chose an old quote because it's really an old struggle. And as another old quote says, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that when we when we look at the hyperconnected economy, uh, you know, I come from it from a business background with Ariba and business networks and connecting companies uh, over business networks as opposed to the consumer side. But I think similar issues, different uh, uh, different challenges for sure, but but a similar promise of connecting of connecting things together. And this old quote kind of points to points to the tension that we've always felt of keeping things private protecting what we have versus building uh, bridges. And I think that the evolution of technology in the business world has over the past uh, hundred, you know, few hundred years, maybe maybe thousand years, uh, but really over the past hundred years or so, as we've gone from, you know, manufacturing then to into computers and into uh, particularly mainframes behind firewalls, is that technology has really led to the increase in my mind of uh, silos, and you had mainframes that were not connected to anything except internal uh, internal companies. They were protected behind firewalls, actual behind firewalls uh, electronically, and actual physical walls, uh, as they were not connected to anything broader than their own internal systems. But now technology is creating a way to move beyond those firewalls for internal organizations to connect to external organizations to connect to partners for internal silos to get out of their own silo and connect to other organizational business units within their broader organization. And I think that that uh, that movement is beginning to open us up again to the idea that, look, building walls, particularly in a business context and B2B context, there is an importance of certain areas of privacy. But there is also a growing understanding of the power of connecting people together, connecting business units together, connecting mm-hmm. partners together, and the technology to be able to do that. And so that's where I thought this old quote was good. Is it's, a, it's an age-old struggle, but I think that we're at the point now where technology is, is allowing us to finally move beyond walls uh, and connect um, the important business processes, and we'll, we'll go into that a bit more as we go through the radio show, but it's that idea of connecting the right information to the right people at the right time so they can make the right decision and drive the right business results. So that's Thank really you, where, Drew. And I think uh, Isaac Newton would understand that. 
Yeah, I think Isaac would very, very much appreciate that his quote at the time is so applicable and has lived on through the ages. And he would say, thank you, Drew Hoffler, for including me on the radio show. I have a question for you, Drew, before I circle back to Sudeep and ask the most difficult question of the show, which will be, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? I know you all have something amazing to tell me. But, Drew, do you, uh, how do you feel about the comment from Dennis DeGregor about Generation C connected moving into Generation D, consumers connecting to the brand and connecting to their peer group, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, do you think that this Generation C is part of this building the bridges? Is this a, a good definition for Isaac Newton to well, say, aha? Well, I, I do. I think, it's, I think it's very interesting, too, because this is where we get in the tension that I think it, uh, would be very interesting to explore, is the tension between consumers and, and business connectivity, right? Because consumers uh, are very hyper-connected, and this Generation C really doesn't the same level of need for privacy or, or hiddenness that uh, many of us from maybe an earlier generation um, uh, saw, right? They'll share everything on Instagram or Twitter or, or Facebook and are, are fine with, you know, having companies seemingly know their buying activities and things to that effect. And so there's this really low barrier of privacy, at least compared to what there has been in the past on Generation C. But when we then get moved to business, right, businesses have a need to build bridges, but they also have a need to put gateposts, if you will, at mm-hmm. those entrances to those bridges and keep certain people away and keep certain information only in front of the right people at the right time. But the interesting tension is that businesses are made up of people who live in Generation C. And so you have this expectation in a personal life of a certain level of connectivity versus a history of disconnectedness in the business world and a drive toward more connectivity. And that, that tension is, uh, is showing up in very interesting ways and creating interesting opportunities. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate your addressing my question. Let's circle back to Sudeep Guatam at HP. Sudeep, I'm going to ask you two questions. Where are you calling from today, and what are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show? Give me a good story, Sudeep. Okay, Bonnie. Uh, well, first of all, um, <laughs> You know, I got to I got to say I'm very happy to be with both um, uh, you know Drew and Dennison here on this call. Uh, they are Generation D. I just figured out, uh, right? Both, both with Drew and with Dennison. So um, <laughs> very nice. That's that's the interesting <laughs> part. But um, yeah, I'm calling from Dallas, Texas, actually in Plano, which is a suburb in the Dallas metroplex. Um, What's in my cup today? Uh, you know, Bonnie, I like to keep it simple. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I've never got an affinity to drink coffee ever in my life so far. So God knows what I'm missing out. So I've got, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, a, a cup of uh, milk and hot chocolate, which is what I drink almost every day. Oh, I have to ask, does this hot chocolate come out of a little packet or is it something that you mix a, a brew of your own using cocoa and some kind of sweetener and spices? Tell me a little more, Sudeep. Okay, well, um, it's, of course, um, you know, a hot cup of milk, uh, reduced fat, if you do want to get into those specifics. And, yes, I do. Um, and then I, I, you know, here's my little bit of an advertisement for um, uh, Ovaltine. So I just take a couple of uh, spoons of Ovaltine and uh, teaspoons of Ovaltine and mix it up, and that's it. I mean, no, no other sugar. This is it. 
I think in uh, probably over 700 radio shows and talking to thousands of people on Game Changers Radio, I think this is the first time we've heard Ovaltine mentioned. This is this month has been a month of we had somebody last week who drinks camel's milk. We have somebody else who was drinking goat's milk. We had a guest who grows a tea tree in his backyard and harvests the leaves and takes them everywhere he goes and flavors them and makes his own home-brewed tea, really homegrown. And now we have Ovaltine. We had somebody with Fanta, somebody who is a Fanta advocate who likes all the flavors Fanta soda on the show yesterday. So, Sudeep, thank you. And I have a quick question for you before we turn to to Dennis DeGregor and ask what he's drinking. Sudeep, Generation B, what did I miss here? What's the B stand for? What's the D stand for? Stands for Dennison and for Drew. Oh, the D. Okay, I love that. I thought you said B. I'm sorry. Okay, good. So we do have our D generation represented here. And D is the first letter of... D is the first genera- first letter of my maiden name. I won't pronounce it on the air, but so I, I feel honored to I conclude myself there, too. Thank you very much. Dennis DeGregor, what are you drinking? I'm not going to ask you to top the Ovaltine story, but just tell me what you're drinking. That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> but in terms of Generation D, I guess to deep on the call, by the end of this call, we're going to have to get to Generation F. So <laughs> we'll see if we can get there in an hour, but... Uh, actually, what's in my coffee cup in front of me is not coffee at all, but it's Cascadian Farm organic dark chocolate almond granola with almond milk on top of it. Wow. I like that. And you, you eat that with a Is it very soupy or do you like it very dry? How much almond milk do you put in it? Is it, it floating or dry. is it thick? More, more on the dry side. It's organic whole grain oats, wheat and barley, crisp rice, dark chocolate and almonds. And it's very Ooh. fattening. Oh, it sounds very fun, too. Thank you very much. The the Generation F would be the fun generation. Thank you very much, Dennis. Appreciate that. Drew Hoffler, well, you've got two good ones. Let's see if you can top them. What's in your cup today? Is it drinkable? Is it spoonable? What is it, Drew? <laughs> oh, it's drinkable. I have, I have coffee in my cup, but it comes from a uh, blend that I made myself from beans that were sourced uh, from a... Uh, a coffee plantation on the slopes of Kilimanjaro between 10,000 and 11,000 feet, and also beans that I uh, picked at a coffee plantation when I was in Costa Rica this past uh, spring for spring break, and then brought home and roasted myself over an open fire in my backyard and then ground up this morning and, and put in my cup. Oh, I'm thinking uh, the old song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, and here is Drew's Roasting Coffee Beans on an Open Fire. All kinds of images are popping into my head here. Guess what? To my audience, we're talking about business networks. Believe it or not, we're actually having a business conversation here, but we are getting a little far afield. I have a wonderful panel. They have good hearts and good spirits, and they're fun. But we have a lot more to share with you on business networks fueling the digital economy. And the big question on the table for you, our business audience all over the world, is are you connected or disconnected? Very big. And the word disconnected has a lot of layers of meaning. We're going to attack that when we come back. I'm speaking today with Sudeep Guatam at HP. Dennis, his full name is Dennison, but he lets me call him Dennis. Dennis DeGregor at HP and Drew Hoffler at SAP. In case you're wondering, I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. And we have to do a shout-out to Wilson Zhu, that Z-H-U. He calls himself The Zoo, T-H-E-Z-H-U at SAP, who is tweeting his fingers off here at hashtag SAP Radio. We all also had some tweets from LAL in 
Cardenas. Thank you very much. And we had a tweet from IOT Attack. So why don't you join us on our Twitter party at hashtag SAP Radio. I will retweet, I promise, while we're on the air. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a very robust, almost 30 minutes nonstop roundtable. And Sudeep Guatam is going to lead off the roundtable for me. So Sudeep, get ready. Put your seatbelt on. We'll be right back after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to transforming your business with Game Changers. That's exactly what we're trying to do, help you transform your business in the right ways. Now, let's talk to our first panelist up in the roundtable. It's Sudeep Watam from HP, and Sudeep sent me the following notes, and we're going to expand them. He says, what are the IT challenges, ensuring that all those people and all of their billions of devices can actually connect to your business, which we've been talking about in the opening? And he says, the challenges of device types and variability around the table. We've got tablets, we've got smartphones, smartwatches, fitness devices, other wearables tech. So what are businesses looking at to engage and connect? Our big question today, of course, Sudeep, is are you connected or disconnected, unconnected, not connected, all the ways to say it. So let's talk about the specific IT challenges. Sudeep, why don't you get us started? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I mean, uh, you know, um, as with any technology, emerging technology, I must say there are there are significant challenges, you know, especially if you look at the, uh, the the latest digital paradigm, you know, associated with cloud, mobile, social, and, of course, the big data initiatives. Uh, the primary risks actually preventing their wider adoption are, you know, data security issues, lack of interoperability with existing ID systems, and lack of control, you know. Um, and let me take a step back, right, because a lot of these are not just with variability of, you know, devices, I mean, those are adding complexity on a day-to-day basis because here's the thing, right? Newer devices, constant operating system upgrades. I mean, how many times do you keep upgrading iOS on your iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, guess, guess what that means to developers. Get, guess what that means to applications that are built on the older versions of iOS, right? Or, or other, uh, you know, or, or, or Android or whatever, right? So application development standards, mobile security, wearables, IoT, I mean, all of these are happening at the same time. So it's always a big challenge. 
but let's take a step back and really look at what are the real business issues or the IT challenges that come along with it, right? For example, I mean, uh, um, you know, actually Gartner uh, put a very nice uh, article uh, some time ago, and, um, and, you know, I like to sometimes quote them. But a few of the things that I think are, are, are critical, which, which have been kind of unintended consequences of this digitization, uh, number one, I mean, you know, most often enterprises have a disjointed strategy. It doesn't cross business and technology lines. That's one. Second thing is you have a big issue with multi-channel coordination, right? How are you going to coordinate data access, application across multiple channels? And as these get more and more complicated, um, it, it almost becomes impossible to coordinate all these things. And even if you do end up coordinating all these things, you don't have the right talent to kind of fix all this. Right, so that's the second big big challenge that comes out. Um, the third thing is, you know, business processes are essentially uh, being designed for transactions, not for engagement. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, that's another key thing. Um, uh, you know, two more is um, the middleware uh, technologies, which are basically connecting all your front end applications and to all those big back legacy systems which are situated out, out there in your mainframes or, or your client servers or traditional client servers applications. All of these, including the security models, I mean, they're very poorly constructed for engagement, right? So there you go in terms of, you know, how do you really set that up to really enable mobile or digital? And finally, I would say, you know, the design, development, and governance processes are actually misaligned with the latest mobile requirements that you have to see, right? And uh, so those are kind of the big, big changes that we see, <clears throat> excuse me, from an organizational perspective. Um, you know, I talked a lot about mobility. I mean, you know, talk about big data. I mean, the promise of big data, <clears throat> it still kind of remains hard to manage, hard to interpret, and hard to integrate into day-to-day business operations and decision-making. The biggest issue in big data is that skilled data analysts and scientists who understand both the statistical modeling and the business applications of big data are just hard to find. And I think mm-hmm. a lack of the data analysis, analysis skills is actually the biggest barrier to big data. Now, with cloud, you have a much bigger adoption, a better adoption. However, security and privacy concerns do remain for cloud computing, especially for a regulatory and a compliance-based industry. So um, in broad, this is what I feel are the big challenges in um, getting fully digital. Thank you, Sudeep. I want to get Dennis DeGregor in here. Dennis, thoughts on what Sudeep just shared? I think Sudeep set a really great foundation to expand on, and and it's what uh, I call the pipes plus content formula. Uh, Sudeep was talking about devices and connectivity. Uh, my team is concerned with the creation of, of targeted content that services customers better and does one-to-one targeted marketing and sales to customers better. So the way that the, w- the way that we look at this connectivity issue and how it's connected to big data is if you think about what's happening today uh, in uh, in the internet. Every 60 seconds, there are 98,000 tweets, 700,000 status updates, 11 million instant messages, 700,000 Google searches, 168 million emails, 
sent 2,000 terabytes of data created. And now we measure big data in what we call yottabytes and brontobytes, which, which sounds like jargon, but yeah. it's actually necessary because we're now measuring this flow of big data uh, in, these, in these gigantic buckets of data. So it, effectively what we need to do in our world is we need to take those buckets of data and run them through what I call the 70-32 funnel meaning 70% of the data flowing through the Internet is noise. It's spam. About 30% of the data is a warrants further investigation from analysts. And we found through actual practice that only about 2% of all the big data flowing through the Internet is actionable service selling or marketing data. So it's really our challenge not to manage big data, but to manage what I call small data, the mm -hmm. conversion of big data to small data or one-to-one -one targeted marketing data, then creating content around that 2% and getting the customer connected to the brand, So, which brings us to the whole Internet of Things and beacons and sensors. Today's consumer, the way that we look at it in my team, is really the Internet of things is not really the Internet of things at all. It's the Internet of everything. It's comprised of four distinct Internets. The Internet of things, meaning beacons and sensors and wearables, things that transmit data or, or capture data. It's the Internet of information. It's the Internet of places. And it's the Internet of people. So those four things are what I call the Internet of everything. And the connectivity challenge today is to take the Internet of everything and create the Internet of me, put the consumer in the middle of the Internet of everything. And that's the basis of consumer connectivity in the new paradigm. Dennis, would you repeat those four, please? I, I got the Internet of information, the Internet of data, the Internet of places, the Internet of devices and things that beacon sensors, wearables that capture data. What did I miss? I just wanted to write those down. Internet of Things, right. Internet of Information, right. Internet of places, places, and Internet of People. People, that's the one I missed. Okay, great. Thank you very hey, much. I want yes. Yeah, can I comment on that? I, I please. I think uh, what Dennis, yeah, what Dennis was saying, uh, particularly around the um, the Internet of Me or the the one to one communication with the consumer, I think has a a great parallel in what's happening in the business world. I, I mean, and one of the things that uh, that this interconnected technology is really starting to drive is a return to the past. So to keep with this theme of what's old is new again, I think back in Sir Isaac Newton's day, you know, business communication, business to business was face to face. It was person to person. You knew who you were doing business with. You did business by a handshake. You knew their family. Uh, you knew what was going on. You were all in the same place. But as business grew, as businesses grew and crossed borders and became more geographically diverse, business has become much more impersonal. I think what the inner, what this hyperconnectivity is allowing business to do in the digital economy is to bring back the benefits of one-to-one -one business communication and almost face-to-face -face business communication in a manner that scales at a global level. 
So you can have very large businesses communicating not only with their consumers, but with other of their partners, their suppliers, their vendors, their partners in, in manufacturing and building things at a much more personalized and close level than they had maybe even 50 years ago. So I, I think it allows you to become personal at a global scale. And I think that's very important because people still want personalization. I'm, I'm looking Absolutely. back at uh, some of Sudeep's notes on the three most important tenets for an unparalleled mobile experience. He talks about speed, security, and personalization. Good points, Drew. Sudeep, since you started this topic, why don't you quickly wrap this up so I can move on to something from Dennis's notes. Go ahead, Sudeep. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Dennis brought up a good topic on uh, big data. And one of the things I do want to mention here is that most of the times, you know, traditional um, analytics applications focus on the what of the data, right? And which is good, right? Because you have to collect all the metrics, the quantum of stuff that's happening all around us. Um, I think the bigger question really is why, right? And, and, and I think that is the holy grail. If we can get to the why of the data, is what's going to give us deeper insight in the personalization aspect of things, as uh, you know, Drew mentioned. So, thank you very much, Dennis. I'm looking at your notes. I'm trying to squeeze a lot of information here in the time we have left, but I know we're having a, a great conversation. Everything is important here. Uh, let's talk about business outcomes. I'm looking at your notes, Dennis. You say driving revenue, productivity, and a CX that their competitors cannot match is on the mind of every CEO. Leveraging their technology investments to achieve business outcomes is front and center. You want to expand that a little for us, Dennis, and then we will have Drew and Sudeep chime in, please. Great. We look at a lot of research every day, Bonnie, and and what's on CEOs' minds, in fact, 96% of CEOs have improving the customer experience as their number one priority. So investments in creating a better next generation customer experience are actually increasing and, and on the increase. And CEOs are aware that loyal customers you know, buy more, stay with the brand longer, refer other customers to the brand, uh, and actually are uh, cheaper to sell to than acquiring new prospects. So with this realization, there's been this uh, shift, uh, and it's part of the shift that, that Meg talks about, about technology budgets going to the CMO. The shift to business outcomes come in really a, a couple of categories. It's creating business outcomes that drive brand equity metrics higher. Brand equity metrics meaning the customer feels good about the brand. They're attitudinally loyal to the brand. They refer other customers, and behaviorally, they repurchase the brand. So that's a, that's a good measure of loyalty, and that's what I call business outcomes on the customer experience side. Then there are business outcomes on the revenue productivity side, the upselling, cross-selling rates. And we know that the customer experience and revenue productivity, as reflected by upselling and cross-selling rates, are connected because uh, loyal customers, satisfied customers, Customers that refer the brand to other mm-hmm. uh, customers like themselves also have higher response rates to marketing offers because the, the brand has done a good job, what I call setting the table, for the upselling and cross-selling. So those are really the two big business outcomes. And then the, the third one uh, business outcome that we're trying to drive is the retention of high lifetime value customers, customers that we know uh, return the economics to the brand that we need, 
and also understanding how to take low-value customers that don't contribute a lot of revenue to the business and encouraging them to use lower-cost channels so we can align their revenue contribution to the brand with their cost to serve and obtain a positive ROI from that relationship. So those are the kind of business outcomes that I, I see the C-suite concerned with today uh, and that we're advising uh, companies to, to undertake in terms of what to change. Thank you, Dennis. Great information. And when, when you were talking, I was thinking of our definition of Generation C connected and Generation D, and I, I offered that D was delighted, and it sounds like that's what every CEO is looking for, that delighted customer experience, those high-value, sustainable, long-term, lifetime, loyal customers who will share their good experiences with others and bring in more business. Thank you. Drew Hoffler, I know you have something to say on this. Please. Sure. I love the uh, use of the word, uh, the phrase business outcomes, because Mm -hmm. in this world of connectivity that we live in, it seems like on the consumer side or the personal side, connectivity for connectivity's sake uh, seems to be the end, uh, the the, the means, the end, the goal, and everything. But when it comes to business, we have to keep in mind the, the business outcome, right? And driving the right result, not just driving a result or letting more people know about information or giving them access to things, but driving toward the right result. But I think that this is where interconnectivity really can drive significant value, significant growth, revenues, et cetera. And I think the the best business outcomes are really found at the intersection of visibility, opportunity, and capability, where those with the need, desire, and the data can act on that at the point of need. You know, in a a business context, um, this this can show up in a a number of ways where – just for example, uh, in something that I deal with all the time, is an area of, of cash flow uh, among businesses. You have companies that will approve an invoice and schedule it and ready to pay, and they're done with their process inside of the accounts payable area. But their supplier may have a need to accelerate cash flow, to buy a new piece of equipment, to do something like that. And maybe they've got limited access to funds in a bank. Well, they can use this connected ability through business networks to accelerate those funds, raise their hand automatically, push a button, and have their, their, their customer pay them early in exchange for a bit of a discount. It's putting that data in front of them at the point of need, giving them the capability they need to push that button and make that happen. Quick example on the outside of the pure business world that I think really shows the uh, universal uh, capabilities of this, uh, to, to use a pun, as you'll see in a minute, is, is something mm-hmm. called Galaxy Zoo. I'm really into uh, astronomy and sci-fi and, and, and the Hubble telescope and, and just the vastness of the universe and stars and all of that. And the interesting thing about the Galaxy Zoo is that it has allowed um, thousands and thousands, to, over, over 250,000 volunteer citizen scientists to take a look at the data that uh, high-powered telescopes like the Hubble telescope bring in and classify galaxies and types of stars and things like this from amateurs on their own. So a very complex, mm. uh, a very complex subject like astrophysicists, physics, is being brought and made available. The data is being made available uh, across barriers, hyperconnected to all of these amateur scientists who are able to do things on a scale that the few astrophysicists are not able to do on their own. So just an example of what can happen if you, if you open up at the right, in the right way, open up mm-hmm. data and information, give it to the right people uh, who have the need, the desire, and that data that they can act upon and, and do something with. 
great, a great example, Drew. And while you're talking, I'm thinking of the fact that we're talking about being connected. If you couldn't connect to these amateur scientists, these armchair scientists, if you will, and armchair astronomers, if you couldn't connect to them, if they weren't connected, if they didn't want to be connected, you wouldn't have this network of amateur star sleuths. Oh, I like the way that sounds. Amateur <laughs> star sleuths contributing no- nomenclature to the galaxies. Very exciting. Sudeep, That's I want to bring you in on this conversation and uh, just a couple of comments from you and then I'm going to circle back to Drew. We're, we're really tight. We have nine minutes till the end of the show and I have to save time for the predictions round. So Sudeep, any thoughts on what Drew and what, uh, what Dennis just brought up, please? Yes, uh, Bonnie. I mean, both uh, Drew and Dennis, uh, they just brought up some uh, very, very, very valid topics on business outcomes. You know, I like, I like to, um, um, you know, take a different path slightly and, and uh, not a different, different path, really, but propose, a, you know, a different analogy. If you look at uh, business models today that most enterprises are looking at, right, they're trying to do four things with mobility, essentially, and with the larger digitization issue. Number one, they're trying to defend their existing models, right? You look at retailers trying to, you know, extend to the web, extending now to the mobile. You can buy stuff. That's kind of, you know, defending their existing models, right? Banks trying to do retail banking through phones and so on and so forth. Then you have a bunch of enterprises that are trying to extend their existing business model. I mean, a cool example, which we all saw, I think, a couple of years ago, was the Tesco um, you know, um, the Tesco kiosk on, on a Seoul subway station where people could just tap into the various items on the, on the, on the chart and boom, uh, you know, scan it and uh, it would get uh, delivered home based on what you picked. You know, you know, so people in Seoul and Korea actually didn't have time to go to the grocery shops and stuff like that to um, do the regular groceries on a day-to-day basis. And they were spending a lot of time on the subways, so they could use this model that Tesco put in uh, very nicely. Um, the third kind of an enterprise is trying to create new business models using mobility and digital, right, which is the other part. And, of course, and, you know, examples of that are Uber and all sorts of uh, uh, newer kind of enterprises that are going to look at creating absolutely new business models. And finally, are those that are trying to disintermediate their business models. I mean, look at the entire space of, space of wallets or uh, payments, right? That's, in, that's entirely, uh, you know, disrupted the entire banking space, right? So if you look at business outcomes, think of defending, extending, creating, or disintermediating your businesses, and that's what's really going to cause huge value. Thank you very much. Uh, we are almost out of time, seven minutes. I'm going to give you each about 90 seconds for predictions. But, Drew Hoffler, I have something here I'd like you to address briefly in your notes. I think we have to cover this. You say the digital economy and hyperconnectedness can allow companies to bring back the benefits of one-to-one business communication in a manner that scales at the global level. Can you talk about that for just a minute, please, Drew? Yeah, that's what I touched on just just a moment ago. But I, I think mm-hmm. that really what this does, and it's a good move, is that is that it allows um, it allows businesses to uh, customize, if you will, information that they share with their partners. It allows them to make that information available, and it allows them to have, if you will, automated conversations with business partners uh, in a way that is that is much more personalized than we had when we were living in the world of COBOL mainframes behind brick walls. You are able to connect with those who are 
who are not only your vendors, if you will, or not just your customers, but who are now truly your partners. And it allows that kind of personal collaboration uh, and personal communication at a business level that scales globally so that I, as a big multi-manufacturer, for example, one of our customers, can communicate and collaborate with a very small vendor in the middle of Africa who has no access to uh, landlines or anything to that effect, but using mobility over business networks, over cell phone uh, towers and systems, can uh, connect and, and receive information and, and give feedback on what's going on in a mine right there. And, and so this communication can happen at a, at, a, at a pretty personal level on a global scale, and I think that's one of the very keys to uh, the hyperconnectedness that's just going to change things dramatically. Thank you so much. Good points. Guess what? We are five minutes and counting. I'm going to give you each. um, Let's go for one minute because I know you're all really good talkers. So I'm going to cap it at one minute. Let's circle back to Sudeep Watam at HP. Sudeep, can you fast forward this conversation to the year 2020 or whatever time in the future you see in the crystal ball that I know you dusted off for this show because you promised me you would. I think you did anyway. Uh, What do you see at some point in the future? How far in the future? And give me 60 seconds of predictions of if we had this conversation again, what would we be talking about in terms of business networks fueling the digital economy? Are companies connected, disconnected, unconnected, reconnected? So hyperconnectivity in the future. Sudeep Gautam, 60 seconds, go. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I mean, we like to dream, don't we? Um, Anyways, I mean, you know, um, I think this, um, right now, I think the pace of innovation will continue. The pace of confusion will continue. And I think there's no way around it. So, um, and I don't see things stabilizing, at least for the next uh, few years. That's what's going to happen. But uh, along the way, I think a few things are going to happen. And number one, I think slowly but surely, desktops will cease to exist. Anything stationary, right? Um, I would say in this case, say laptops. Um, You know, in the past, we never used to consider laptops as stationary. But in our today context, laptops are I think they'll be used more for computational purposes. Mm-hmm. And mobile and its forms will essentially be the main means of interaction and purpose. That's the first thing I think will happen. Um, secondly, um, you know, I see radically a very different kind of a device, more of a wearable type that is going to replace our traditional mobile phone, right? And this may not happen by 2020, Bonnie, but... As I said, we all like to dream, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to see something that's going to be more integrated with the human body, right? Um, Hey, did I read that newly? But I thought PayPal was trying to create um, small capsules that could uh, be ingested and will store our passwords. Wow, talk about innovation (laughs) there. Right? That's Um, that's scary. Have that with your coffee. Yes, go ahead. The last thing I think is uh, more from an IT perspective. I think apps will become simpler to construct. They will become more self-analytical. And I think larger systems are not going to be this huge monolith applications that are sitting. I think they're going to be built more through integration of various small components. And a lot of these components, interestingly, I think will start getting driven and joined and integrated using runtime. Thank you very much. Great predictions. I saved 60 seconds for Dennis DeGregor. Dennis, go ahead. What time frame can you see in the future? And let's go. Bonnie, by 20, 
30, I'm not going to say 2020, I think that what, what we're going to see is we're going to look back in the rearview mirror and realize that today we're on, we're on the cusp of, of creating the first real artificial intelligence. And everyone's been talking about our artificial intelligence for decades, but you can see the foundations now have been created for smart machines, robotics, automated judgment, um, the thing that we're going to see increasingly in the future is companies leveraging what I call the digital halo. And that is, one example is if when you rent movies at Netflix, just based on the genre of the movie, the type of movie you rent, Netflix can tell about 20 to 30 things about you, including what type of clothes you like, uh, and even predict with some type of statistical accuracy what your favorite color is. Now, that oh opens all kinds of new doors, and what we're going to see is a lot of alliances between companies that we haven't seen in the past that are where the companies create alliances with each other just to manage the digital halo. And it's the digital halo, the consumer fingerprints that consumers leave around the Internet um, that is really going to become the foundation of artificial intelligence algorithms that, that seek to predict what that consumer is going to do next. So Thank you, Dennis. I have to stop you because I have to give 20 seconds for predictions to Drew Hoffler. We are seriously out of time. Great predictions. I love the idea of the halo. Drew Hoffler, 30 seconds. Predictions. Go, please. Sure. So I think predictions, um, you know, will increase, will, it'll just continue to increase the connectivity uh, into, you know, visibility, opportunity, and capability and connecting those things together for a multitude of channels. We'll see channels of innovation and opportunity increasing. But to some degree, I don't think we can predict because who knows what innovations are out there. And that's really what makes this exciting. Quick example, if you've seen on the news, this company called Flow Hive Honey has a new way of getting honey out of beehives from New Zealand, somewhere in New Zealand. They wanted to raise $70,000 on Indiegogo, and they raise, have raised over $10 million so far because it's this innovative capability they cre- that they now have an opportunity to put in front of, of so many more people due to this hyper-connected economy, and it's creating visibility to that and causing people to want to invest. But those types of innovation, that type of connectedness, I think goes far beyond what we, can, what we expect right now, and I think really it's going to be hard to predict what new innovations happen because as you bring together that intersection of visibility, opportunity, and capability, all sorts of interesting things can happen. Thank you very much. Great predictions. Sorry we had to cut them short. Sudeep Gautam at HP, Dennis DeGregor at HP, Drew Hoffler at SAP Ariba. Thank you. Great insights. I had a wonderful time listening to the three of you. Thank you so much for bringing your savvy and your insights and your deep intelligence on this topic to the table. Wilson Zhu, I'm applauding you for putting together this extraordinary panel. Wilson, I'm telling you now, invite them back for part two. Thank you to Becky Weber at SAP and Lindsay Nelson for sponsoring the series. Brad and the Business Channel team, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in one hour today live with a new edition of Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, talking about the good bank. How can they win back trust using technology, or can they? Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you one hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, 
tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. We'll be right back. 